0: some Welles. Of course it is. I think it's the time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you
1: know. Hello, everyone. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but we're
0: to call him Mank.
1: Mankowitz? Herman Mankiewicz, New York playwright
0: and drama critic, and humble screenwriter, Mr. Hurst.
1: Yeah, so right before we started recording this, uh, <laughs> I you heard me kind of going, Mank, Mank, Mank. You know what that's a reference to? No. All right. All right. So I'm, I forget if you saw this movie with me, but... Uh, 10 years ago, there was this uh, Angelina Jolie movie called salt. 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 No, I didn't. Yeah. For those who. It, it, most of the movie, you know, it's like a kind of typical, like, action movie. You know, maybe you've seen it, maybe not, kind of thing. But near the end, there's a theme song for the character. Like, she plays a character named Salt in the movie, Angelina Jolie. And I, near the end, you hear, like, a chorus going, Salt, salt, salt salt and yeah i was hoping at some point we'd get mank bank bank <laughs> uh, you know like an eat at joe's sign pops up and you just hear mank maybe that would have made it more enjoyable for you yeah. <laughs> but we, we're, we're jumping the gun though welcome to the waves of cinema i am uh, your host jack and as always trash panda cory yay and you're using your new nickname yes uh, yes Although you kind of revert back to Wifely Duties, Corey, tonight for what we uh, oh, yeah. had to do. All right. Well, it was Wifely Duties that kept me walking all right. till the end. You're, you're jumping the gun. You need to <laughs> let the audience, you know, have a moment before you <laughs> jump into, like, you know, throwing things into the fireplace <laughs> that inspire, like, a scene your movie. Oh, God, I gotta get to that. Urgh. All, all right. right. No, no, no. What we are talking about today is the newly released uh, movie on Netflix and in theaters, uh, some theaters, uh, called Mank, directed by David Fincher uh, and written by uh, David Fincher's late father, Jack Fincher, which I think uh, among writers in this room, I am the better Jack (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: nah, sorry, that's mean. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, all right. No, but if you're wondering, so for those who don't know, this is a movie that's centered largely around uh the 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 writer Herman J Mankiewicz and uh for those who, you know, didn't go, you know, you don't have to even go to film school. You could just go quickly on IMDb and see that Herman J Mankiewicz is one of two writers on Citizen Kane. Of course, the other writer is Orson Welles. And uh, that itself has caused about 80 years of controversy. Um, But that's not entirely what this movie's about. It kind of traces as he's writing the script for Citizen Kane, Herman J. Manquitz's, and you get flashbacks to uh, some of his time in Hollywood and his uh, connections with uh, William Randolph Hearst, uh, played by Charles Dance, and also his... uh, you know, not wife, uh, but, you know, basically another wife uh, marrying Davies uh, by Amanda Seyfried. And that's the movie. It's it's basically like, I guess you... It's not... I don't know if you call it quite a, like a biopic. I guess it is because it doesn't trace his entire life. It's using this one time frame and, you know, like, kind of trying to be pseudo and Kane going back and forth in time. Um... Alright, so I'm gonna start off you know, because we're not gonna agree about this movie. Well
0: we should mention we come at this movie from different places, which might explain our differing reactions to it. Because you have literally taught Citizen Kane. So not only are you into you are intimately familiar with Citizen Kane and I, old
1: Hollywood film I, history. I, I've, I've read a book about Orson Welles. Um, yeah, so I actually I have more knowledge. Honestly, I have more knowledge about the Orson Welles side of things than Mankiewicz. I've heard, I've, I've seen a little bit about Mankiewicz, uh, like on the Citizen Kane DVD. There's a, a documentary called "The Battle Over Citizen Kane," which is kind of like a dual story of Hearst and Wells. But Mankiewicz comes into play there because, again, he actually was there at the San Simeon Ranch, which was basically like, you know, a little kingdom in California.
0: So, basically, throughout this movie, you are going to be the cinephile that's well steeped in cinema oh. history, uh. and I'm kind of the unwashed masses. But
1: see, though, <laughs> I think that you, though, are more probably of what our, you know, our lovely listeners want to hear from because... You know, I, you know, yeah, I have seen a whole lot of movies. I, again, yeah, I did teach Citizen Kane, which, you know, like, look, that's like fucking teaching Hamlet if you're in a high school teacher. I've read there.
0: his lesson on Citizen Kane, and it's amazing. So, <laughs> well, <it was> excellent. <laughs> you know this film intimately. As for me, I saw Citizen Kane in high school because I took a film class. I liked it, and I respected it, but I didn't form the kind of intense personal relationship to it that a lot of people have. So I have not seen the movie from beginning to end since yep. I saw it in high but, school. But that's
1: what I mean, though. You're approaching this just as a movie. And, and I mean, yeah. I tried to do that, too. I mean, you could be, you know, you could be... you, te- You could have, like, a really great movie about someone that you don't really care about in history or you can have a kind of media you can have a mediocre movie about like an important subject yeah. that's, you, that's hollywood in a nutshell
0: and you're a lot more well-versed in old hollywood history and you've seen yeah. a lot more old movies than me i listen to you must remember this but that's bit ba- so i do have some grounding mm-hmm. in old hollywood well, that's about it. So, one thing to keep in mind as we go over our yeah. review is keep in mind we are coming at this from the perspective of someone who, on the one hand, you have like an encyclopedic knowledge of film, a strong personal attachment to Citizen Kane. I am someone with a much more limited understanding of film history. Yeah. And I have not seen Citizen Kane beginning to end in seventeen years.
1: Yeah, and I. I, All right, yeah. To be fair, no. Not only have I seen Citizen Kane like, you know, like a dozen times. I've watched it with, you know, Roger Ebert's commentary, so I do know it a bit.
0: I did recently rewatch with you that amazing disintegration of a marriage montage Mm. in Citizen Kane.
1: Maybe I'll maybe I'll drop some of that into uh, this episode. Oh, I can't. Yes, you are. Sure, you're very, very beautiful. I've never been to six parties in my life. Extremely beautiful. My whole life. Oh, I've never even been up this late. It's a matter
0: of habit. I wonder what the servants will think. They'll think we enjoyed
1: ourselves. Yes. Didn't we?
0: I don't see why you have to go straight out to the
1: newspaper. You never should have married a newspaper man. They're worse than sailors. I absolutely adore you. Oh, Charles, even newspaper men have to sleep. I'll call Mr. Bernstein have him put off my appointments until noon. What time is it? Oh, I don't know. It's late. It's early.
0: Charles, do you know how long you kept me waiting last night while you went to the newspaper for 10 minutes? What do you do in a newspaper in the
1: middle of the night? Emily, my dear, your only correspondent is the Inquirer. Sometimes I think I'd prefer a rival of flesh and blood. Oh, Emily, I don't spend that much time on the newspaper. It isn't just the time. It's what you print,
0: attacking the president.
1: You mean Uncle John?
0: I mean the president of the United States.
1: He's still Uncle John. He's still a well-meaning fathead who's letting a pack of high-pressure crooks run his administration. This whole oil scandal. He happens to be the president, Charles, not you. That's a mistake that will be corrected one of these days. Mr. Bernstein sent Junior the most incredible atrocity yesterday, Charles. I simply can't have it in the nursery. Mr. Bernstein is apt to pay a visit to the nursery now and then.
0: Does he have to? Yes. Really, Charles? People will think...
1: What I tell them to think
0: so that's where we're coming from we also watched this movie in different ways
1: yeah i i was kind of curious to try if i could to see this in a theater which again that's kind of a limited option right now but i was able to do it um i was still i was safe and every and if there were there were a few people in the theater but you know everybody was masked so yeah. hopefully i didn't Hopefully I didn't risk life and limb to see this movie. Um.
0: And some of us do not believe in making irresponsible decisions during a pandemic. So we <laughs> watched it on Netflix.
1: But here, I think, though, that's that's also a, a good, an interesting way to go about it, because, I mean, you could tell me, I mean, watching this at home. Did you think at any point, like, maybe if I saw this in a theater, I would have had like a more positive reaction to it?
0: Um, no. Um...
1: <laughs> okay. Fair. Fair. So, I mean, honestly, if I'd watched this at home, I think I would have felt the same way, too, about it. And again, my my overall, like, top-line reaction is that I think I like this movie. I think it's good. I wish it was better. And I feel like the main problem I have with it is that... This this script has a lot of fascinating history and a lot, some of it I didn't know about, and we'll get into that. But I, there, I wish there was more of a soul there. Like it's lacking something emotionally in the char- in the main character himself of Mank. Like in, in, in and it's not to do with Gary Oldman's performance because I think he's actually pretty brilliant on the whole. Like I really liked his performance here, but. They're just like it's it's weird because, like with Fincher, you know, we've both watched the social network. We've seen that a few times. and and you know, some people have said that's kind of like a cold movie, but I don't think it is. I think it's actually has a lot of deep emotions, but it's a you know, but it's a a deeply felt movie about a cold person.
0: It's tough because I wanted to like this movie so much. David Fincher has made some of my favorite movies ever like when david fincher's on his game i think he's spectacular uh,
1: hey did you catch that pun no like, when he's on oh. his game
0: <laughs> ah,
1: you knee slapper um oh. it's funny like before we were watching the movie i was telling Corey that my theory with david fincher with the exception of the game if you look at his career and i also don't count mind hunter because i know he did direct some episodes of that but and that's and i like that show but I'm not, I'm not counting that here. He has this strange thing in his career where he'll make great movie, fine movie, great movie, fine movie. And, like, you look at it back and forth. It's like he'll make Fight Club, then he'll make Panic Room. He'll make Zodiac, and then he'll make Benjamin Button. Um, he'll make, uh, um, you know, Social Network. He'll make uh, Girl Dragon 2. And this, hey, you look at it this way. His next movie is going to be great.
0: <laughs> so my my short summary of this movie is it is very bad.
1: It's oh, bad! Wow. It
0: has a f- it has two entertaining supporting performances, and the script is so full of rapid fire, quippy, clever dialogue that some of that is good and it's like but, funny. Yeah, but the movie as a whole is pathologically uninvolving. (laughs) And that's because... So
1: is it too inside baseball?
0: Here's the thing. David Fincher made aesthetic choices that emphasized the artificiality of the world. Mm. David Fincher made aesthetic choices that constantly poke you in the eye with... This is a movie. You're not watching a real person doing real things. You're watching yeah, a movie.
1: That, that, that's you know, you're...
0: poke, poke, poke. This is fake. This is a movie, and
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I just so you've turned into Roger Ebert in his North <laughs> Review. I hate this movie. He hated, 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 hated it. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. <laughs> I did not hate this movie, but
0: I certainly did not like this movie and I certainly do not recommend it. And my problem was it completely failed as human drama because there was not one ounce of human authenticity on the screen. Every single person was a capital C character delivering, (laughs) you know, artificially scripted like clever lines no
1: you know what no i will say you're pointing to something that is my other issue with the movie which is that like this is going to be a strange thing like to say about this movie because again like i said i'm gonna try i'm gonna be more defensive of this i think you are i i think (laughs) i will say i actually think this is a good movie overall it's almost like oppressively witty at times. Yes. I never thought
0: I would say that, but my other issue was don't get me wrong. It, I liked some of the like rapid fire banter. I definitely liked you, some of it.
1: You needed a few scenes where Mankowitz isn't like saying like clever things. Well,
0: that's the thing. Mankowitz is not a person. He is not a human being. I,
1: here's the here's where I w- here's one disagreement I would have. I on the page, I think he's like he's way too much. Like I'm a banter machine, which I know by the end that's supposed to be part of like the point that they're making. I don't think they completely pull it off, but I get it. I think Oldman brings a lot to it. I think he helps to try to find a soul within him. It takes a lot. He's like he's working like I almost can see the sweat pouring off him.
0: Even the even the two characters I liked in this movie, frankly, are just banter machines and
1: not people. And those are, of course, are Amanda Freed as Marion Davies, and uh, was it Arliss Howard as uh, Louis B. Mayer? Yeah.
0: I loved Amanda Shaffrey as Marion Davies in this movie, and I loved the guy who played Louis B. Mayer and his introduction scene where he's talking about how he wants emotions and he wants to cry and then like he grabs his junk and he <laughs> says that like this is where emotion comes oh, from
1: oh and that scene where he's also uh uh he's talking to the the mgm uh like like flat like the whole workers and telling me he has to cut their pay mm. and like everyone is like all bummed but then like a few of them are like We'll do it for you. And then, like, little kid's like,
0: I'll do it. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> I like that scene a lot.
0: We'll go more into detail about oh. the aesthetic decisions that I really did not appreciate oh. in this film. Oh, that's... I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. My know. problem with this... Mo- Wow. I okay. did not see that coming at all. We just learned that this guy who played Louis B. Mayer is in Full Metal Jacket. But
1: yeah. my issue was... A private cowboy.
0: I never thought that these were actual flesh-and-blood human beings interacting with each other the way flesh-and-blood human beings would. And my other issue is... I believe the narrative trajectory of the movie is supposed to be. Now, I say I believe, because honestly, I'm not even sure if this is what I was supposed to get from this. But I assumed the narrative trajectory of the film was that Mank goes from being kind of an insider to an outsider, where he's initially chummy with these terrible people in the Hollywood system, but he becomes disillusioned with them.
1: Yeah, no, no, I absolutely think that is, that is the trajectory, and moreover, there's that whole part, um, I don't know if this is necessarily spoilers, I don't know how much you could spoil necessarily with a story like this, but there's the whole thing about you know, that parable of the monk of the uh, uh, the, the monkey grinder, like, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's seen as almost like the comic relief. And ultimately, like, Hearst has kind of kept him around all this time because he enjoys how he talks as opposed to how he writes. Yeah. So the whole act of writing uh, Citizen Kane is his way of telling Hearst, no, fuck you. Like, I, I am more than what you think I am. I think that was the point of the movie, and I think that's fine as, like, an arc. Again, I—and I—again, I I still like that, ultimately. I just wish it had more emotion, and I think at the end, like, how it comes together between Mankiewicz and Orson Welles, I found that scene kind of insulting.
0: Well, yeah, my thing is— I understand this idea that I'm supposed to see Mank, and I love how they just call him Mank every 10 seconds, and they never call him I think. Her-
1: I think, no, one character calls him Hermie. <laughs> <laughs> so... I guess Hermie sounds a little like, uh, you know, like cutesy.
0: So I understand this idea that Mank is supposed to become disillusioned with them, and we're supposed to take from the film that Mank is not like them, that he was part of their corrupt milieu, but ultimately, he, he is not. He is apart from them.
1: It's like it's almost like if, uh, um, you know, you, you know, the moral of the story is you can't fight the system, man. <laughs> he threw it on the ground.
0: <laughs> but my problem was, even though I think that's what the movie was trying to tell me, everyone in the movie like banter-pattered in a way that seemed to remove the emotional states. Even when at the end of the movie, there's this scene where Mank has this, like, grand tell-off scene at this, like, dinner table. And even though Mank...
1: See, is, I, I kind of like that scene a lot.
0: And even though <laughs> Mank is an alcoholic, and we see him engaging, like, dramatic, drunken, like, I don't know, whatever. So... On paper, there are these kind of big swings that we're supposed to see the character, but I didn't see any big swings from these characters. I saw a bunch of, like, chatter robots who didn't really... Their relationships didn't change it, with each other as much as I wanted.
1: It, you know, it's, it's kind of an ironic thing that the movie leaves out the real history of like, it kind of makes you think by the very end of the movie that like Orson Wells begrudgingly shot all of Herman J. Mankiewicz's script, but then they both got Oscars. And isn't that so terrible that Orson Wells took co-writing credit and almost didn't give Mankiewicz credit and blah, blah, like, but we watched like this video before we watched the movie, um, this video essay by it's it's called the Royal Ocean Film Society. I, I highly recommend it. And they talked about how you know Mankiewicz did his draft, which was huge, and the movie even talks about that. And like, no, that Orson Welles did like five freaking revisions on it. And I kind of wonder if maybe Fincher would have been a little better off if I don't know maybe he had had someone do some revisions on his dad's. Holy script.
0: I never felt the stakes at all. Like, I know there are things that on the page should have been a big deal, and I know, in theory... Mank was actually wrestling with big issues, but I never felt the States at all. Like, I never felt like Mank was in any kind of
1: peril. Yeah, no, that's the thing. He, like, they need to have maybe a little bit more of the drama. Like, I wanted to feel a little bit more of the drama of Mankiewicz is really going to be in deep shit for writing this script. Like, characters tell him that, yeah. but... But then as soon as you think, okay, we're going to get into some of the drama of that, it cuts back to Upton Sinclair's gubernatorial race, which again, I actually found that fascinating. Maybe, I don't know if you did. I was really like, huh, okay. I didn't know. I, cause that's, you know, I didn't know about that piece of history cause that's more of the politics of the time than actual movie history. Like what I liked kind of on an intellectual level that the movie was doing, and I think intellectually the movie works really well. Is how it tried to combine, you know, how it is still today how movie po- the politics of a movie studio commingle with politics in real life, and that getting kind of mixed up, and you have to take sort of allegiances, and that also tears things apart with people. And I and I really like that. Like I didn't know that Upton Sinclair ran for governor and that the studio fucked with him by creating these fake newsreels with actors who were pretending to, like, you know, compare Upton Sinclair to communists. That was genuinely fascinating to me.
0: I would like to read an article about it, not watch a movie about <laughs> it in this
1: style, or, or as a documentary. That's the thing. I think this, like, this story would have been a little more compelling if it had just been, like, a documentary that looked at the life of Herman J. Mankiewicz, like, you know... uh... So,
0: yeah, I thought potentially interesting human drama was just suffocated under this thick glaze of, like, period aesthetic spackle that just left me very distanced and very alienated from the characters, who, again, didn't seem to feel things like real people feel things they never spoke like real people speak i never got the sense that any of them had any stake in
1: anything it came it got it got kind of there a few points for me like there it's not a big part but there is kind of like this subplot in those flashbacks where mank is trying to help out this like guy who's on the skids and i guess he's one of the people in the Upton Sinclair newsreel, Mm -hmm. but then he like completely falls apart and is going to like kill himself. I thought that, that kind of felt that kind of got emotional. Like that at least tried to get into what you were saying the movie lacked, but it needed more of that. Like it needed more of that. It needed to, you know, like it, it, I don't know if you like were watching this with me recently. We rewatched wa- we, we that video about from Patrick H. Willems uh-huh. about music biopics. Yeah. And he talked about uh, The Aviator. Yeah. Which is interesting, by the way, because I was just reading before we started recording that Jack Fincher wrote a Howard Hughes script uh, before he died, but like, Scorsese's like, no, nah, I'm going to go with my own script. <laughs> and that's a movie that, You know, I I don't know how truthful that is about Howard Hughes. They might have fudged some facts in there. But I really felt something for Howard Hughes in that movie. Like, they really made... Like, they did a lot of good work to stick to, like, a key emotional idea to bring that out of him. And I wanted more of that with Mankiewicz. I wanted him to not just be, like, this kind of, like, loser who... Kind of, think you know, knows everything, but he's not really, like, you know, there.
0: That's an excellent comparison, because I never felt anything for Mank, because I knew whether he was, you know, laying in bed, busted up from the car accident, or he was, you know, dazzling people at a dinner party. I knew Mank was fundamentally the same person. And I know that's not what the movie was trying to tell us. The movie was trying to sell us on like a Mank arc. Mm. But to me, Mank seemed like he lived in this weird world where he was totally
1: insulated from the consequences of any of his choices. Yeah. And that also goes with like, they briefly touch on the fact that he has, you know, he has a wife. And I believe they even said he has kids. That we just never see.
0: Oh, God. That scene where...
1: Oh, the wife, like, tells him off.
0: Well, that scene... Because there's this, like, running thing in the movie where his wife is referred to as poor Sarah. Because he's such a terrible husband. And they have this scene where she says, Stop having people call me Paul Sarah poor Sarah, I don't want people to pity me for putting up with you. And she's like, I stay with you because at least I'm never bored. And I'm like, you're still the typical, like, boring put-upon wife character just because you have 30 seconds of dialogue where you say, don't pity me that I'm in this marriage with this terrible person. That doesn't make you any more interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's true. Like, yeah, I like, why couldn't... That that should have been more of the emotional through line of the movie. Like, develop that story a little bit more and maybe cut back a little bit on, well, it's tough because, again, this movie tries to do so much, and that's why, I mean, I admire it, and that's why I wish it was so much better. Uh, But, I don't know, maybe, like... What if, I know you're going to hate me suggesting this, okay. would it have been, would it could have been better if it had been longer? Like if it had given a little, if it fleshed out some of the things it only touched on briefly.
0: I also think this movie needed a complete like stylistic makeover as well. Uh, I'm going to make a really weird comparison to this movie make. Okay. When when I was watching Mank, I was thinking of this very bad movie, I think we saw last summer, like summer of 2019, called Where Did You Go, Bernadette? And hmm. Where Did You Go, Bernadette also has a kind of difficult protagonist, and we are told on the page that she behaves in self-destructive ways and has to wrestle with serious issues. But the movie around her completely refuses to give any weight to her supposed troubles because everyone in her life just puts up with her crap. She's rich, so she doesn't have any, like, concrete financial problems. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it, and I was like, Mank in this movie is kind of like mm-hmm. Bernadette and Where Did You Go, Bernadette, uh. where I am told on the page... This person struggles with important issues. This person struggles with disillusionment. This person has big ideas and big drives and big talents. But really, Mm -hmm. his entire life just seemed like a warm bubble bath of everyone just putting up with his crap, no matter what.
1: Well, I mean, look, here's... well, here's Well, here's the thing, though. I think the movie, early on, did some good work showing that, like he was part of, like, that writer's world in the 1930s. Like, there are some names that they mention, which, again, I'm not I, I'm not expecting that you knew some of these people. But, like, that scene where um, that guy, Charles Lederer, who's, like, related, I think, to Marion Davies, like, he mentions my aunt, I think, which is, oh, because I guess he's related to Hearst, maybe, or I don't know what the fuck that was. I'm trying to remember. Like, Charles Lederer rang a bell, but I need to look him up. Um, I think he, I I think he actually was the one that gave the script to the Marion Davies and the Hearst people. Um, I think they show that in the movie, but there are these other people in like this writer's room. They mentioned this guy, S.J. Perlman. Mm -hmm. Uh, they mentioned this other guy, uh, uh, Kaufman Mm -hmm. and, uh, a couple other people and George, uh, George S. Kaufman. Sorry. And these were like, a lot of these people wrote like for the Marx brothers, like they actually, and they mentioned the Marx brothers. They mentioned Groucho in the movie and Irving Thalberg who's kind of another supporting character in this. Like he, you know, brought the Marx brothers to MGM. I think that the movie did a pretty good job early on of showing how he like that's what Hollywood did for like people who could act in like a certain way like eh, I'm going to bullshit with you and like is you know, smoke and like drink and play cards and and do all that kind of stuff. And that part is fine. Then though, like again, that history helps a little bit, but then you got to do more of the, like you need, you got to add the pathos.
0: Well, yeah, I never bought his struggle at all. I never for a second believed that this was a man uh, struggling. Well, well,
1: all of his troubles are self-made and that can be fine. I mean, but you got to make it then a little bit more interesting. Like, you gotta make, like, his, like, struggle, like, a little more interesting, in a way. Like, it, it seems like, I'm really drunk, I'm laid up in bed, oh, I'm gonna write the greatest screenplay ever written. Yeah. It, okay? I should... And you're telling me that, I mean, uh, you know, and that's not like, look, I didn't expect to see, like, scenes from Citizen Kane in the movie, like, they, that's fine, they didn't have to do that, maybe I'm glad they didn't do that, but- like here's another weird thing. It feels like you know again, this is a David Fincher film. I feel like this movie could have been directed by someone else. Yeah. That's not something you'd usually think about with Fincher. Like he brings some like real visual flair to it. And there are moments where, like, again, it really shines. Like not the sec not the last dinner conversation. But there's actually, like, one, like, earlier on in the movie where, like, he's first at uh, Hearst dinner party, and this conversation happens about Hitler and uh, Upton Sinclair. And I thought that was actually brilliantly written and, like, edited and acted. And, like, that really showed, like, the dynamic of the people in this kind of insulated Hollywood world. Um and I thought that was something that really works for me. Again, there are some, bril- I think, there are brilliant sequences here. I even kind of, I kind of love that like monologue that that Gary Oldman gives, like in like To Hearst when like, everybody starts slowly getting up from the table as he's like bitching him out. Um, but. I don't know where I was going with this point. Um. <laughs> Can I? What? Like, it, it, but you again. It, that, but you still needed to do more.
0: Can I rant about the horrendous sound design of the film? Which
1: okay, uh, I don't know if I I didn't get, I didn't hear as much of that as you did, but I did notice certain stylistic ticks that kind of got on my nerves. But you'll go. You go first.
0: Okay. Now I should mention. I had no problem with the music in the movie. The soundtrack was fine. Yeah, the
1: score was uh, fine. Great.
0: Yeah. Music is totally fine. So when I say the sound design of this movie was horrendous, I'm just referring to the dialogue. The dialogue, again, is recorded in this deliberately echoey, fake, like, studio sound kind of way. Mm. And I actually Googled this while I was watching the movie because it's not like the movie gave me anything interesting so, to chew on. Yeah,
1: so tell me about this, because I, I didn't I had no idea.
0: The mo- the sound was designed in such a way to recreate the sound of old Hollywood films. And I think they used the word
1: monochrome. Huh. Sound. So they didn't use like the the boom mics that they just usually have now for, for recording sound?
0: I'm going to That's read a strange it. thing. Cause... I absolutely hated it. I thought the dialogue <laughs> sounded awful. See,
1: see again, that might have been one difference in seeing this in a theater. I didn't get that as much. There were times where it sounded a little low, but I didn't hear as much. Well, I heard a few times it sounded like the sound was crinkling a little bit.
0: It sounded tinny and fake. And low and almost like mumbling. My,
1: my, ta- the, the tick that got on my nerves a little bit was I'm sure you noticed, uh, as Tyler Durr would say, the cigarette burns. In the you should call them cigarette burns. <laughs>
0: no.
1: um, look, man, uh, do like you have not worked on film since Panic Room. Don't do that. You'll never shoot on film again. Like you're already shooting in black and white. That's enough. That's okay. enough to evoke the period. Uh, you don't need to add this device, you know, thing to make us think. Oh, now the real is changing. Uh, no,
0: I am quoting from a a variety article called "Mank" production team on creating a feast for the eyes and ears for the Netflix period film. <laughs> All right, here we go. It was up to sound mixer Ren Kleis Kleis, to capture the extravagance that Fincher saw when filming those scenes. Kleis or Kleis reverse-engineered the mix, distorting sounds, lowering the dynamic range, and limiting the high frequency to take audiences back to the 1930s and the Citizen Kane era. Mm. So basically... And I'm also taking this article from Collider. Where hold on. Um
1: Wouldn't it be funny if this movie won for Best Sound Design? That would be or got nominated. That'd be like when Bohemian Rhapsody got nominated for Best I editing. thought
0: of that. <laughs> I thought the sound design in this movie is Bohemian yeah. quality. This is another yeah. quote from this is from a Collider article. <laughs> mm-hmm everything has been compressed and made to sound like the 1940s the music has been recorded with older microphones so it has a sort of sizzle and wheeze around the edges what you are hearing is a revival house an old theater playing a movie i hated the sound design of this movie so much <laughs> i was so irritated by it that i'm not gonna lie for the first like 20 minutes of this movie I struggled to pay attention to the actual content of the dialogue. Now, did
1: you, like, did you turn up the volume, like, on the TV?
0: Yeah. It was not... There was nothing wrong with the way Netflix chose to air it. There was nothing wrong. It was obviously a deliberate aesthetic choice that I hated. It was... Kind of like the bad version of how when Scorsese made the aviator in the beginning of the movie, the colors kind of see, off like see, I li- school.
1: See, I liked that color choice. Well we're not I know we're not gonna ever agree on that. I thought that was pretty good. It's dope. a
0: hell of a lot better than what they pulled with the sound in this movie. But again, the sound, the deliberately fake archaic sound design was another thing that alienated me from the characters and distanced me from the characters because, again, they don't sound like actual human beings talking. So their voices were tinny and echoey and artificial. And it was just fake, 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 fake. Now- Wow. Over the course of the film-
1: I I, I did not get this angry about it. Now,
0: over the course of the film- I don't know if either I got used to it or it got better or other things about the movie irritated me more and kind of took took the place of it it's kind of like if you have a sore leg and you punch yourself in the arm you won't notice the sore leg anymore because you've got a sore arm (laughs) maybe as the movie went on like other things just started irritating me more so the horrendous sound design (laughs) stopped bothering me i think you need a new
1: nickname your knives out Corey. (laughs) you got your knives out for this movie um yeah no i would you say this annoyed you like as much as like the look of Bamboozled? (sighs) I'm giving you flashbacks.
0: I don't want to (laughs) comment, because I have not seen Bamboozled in a long time. Whereas, I watched this movie tonight. But... Like I under I understand what they were trying to do. They were trying to replicate the feel of an old movie. But I have watched old movies, and the sound design didn't irritate
1: me. Well, well, you know what though? The thing is, Fincher like kind of tried to replicate it, but he didn't go all out. If you're going to try to replicate a movie from this period, why not go further? Why not shoot it in like one three three one? Like he shot it in his kind of full widescreen vision you know, like, how he shoots all of his movies, shoot it in, like, the rectangular box style.
0: Well, you're right. He's a fake fetishist of old Hollywood because he doesn't shoot on film. None of his other movies are at all interested
1: in, like, glamorizing old Hollywood. 90% of the people who are watching this movie are going to watch it on their TVs or, like, imagine you're watching this on your phone, (laughs) which is how some people will watch this movie. They're watching a movie that's recreating old movies released in the time of a, you know, when movie theaters mostly aren't open.
0: I, I found myself wishing QT had made this movie at multiple junctures.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I didn't, I kind of feel a little bit of the disappointment that you brought up regarding Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I still feel like I still love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I feel like there was a, there was still a lot more that Tarantino brought to that film that made it work for me. But I think I get it on this movie a little bit more. Man, I'm starting to like this movie a little less. Like, I came out of it kind of like, I like that movie. Now I'm wondering, like, I like
0: it. Well, I as. Any longtime listener of the podcast would know. And by longtime listener, I mean your mom or Gabe. <laughs> um, but I gave an, ultimately a gentle thumbs down to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is much better
1: than this movie. <laughs> Would you say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Sis and Kane compared to this? <laughs>
0: so I went through the opposite journey where as I was watching Bank, it kind of made me mm-hmm. retroactively like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood more. Because huh. I was I was watching it. I was like, you know what? I am pining for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood now. And I was disappointed uh, with that when I saw it.
1: Yeah. Well, that I think took a much more creative bent on the industry on portraying a part of the industry and kind of portraying like portraying like people who are kind of on the outskirts or kind of on the outs um this i think is it's like a pity party animal story uh it's like this guy is a pity party like you know guy you know he's like oh poor me i'm such a drunk i'm such a louse uh, but, you know, I was so great and I didn't get the credit I deserved when I was alive. And frankly, may, he maybe didn't. You know, a lot of writers at that time, you know, they would come in, they would pitch stories. Directors would take credit uh, often more and the writers would be kind of left uncredited. And that was a lot of Herman J. Mankiewicz's career. Like that part is that's absolutely fair. And, it, and, and you know, and it is very possible, too, that maybe Orson Welles, maybe tried to take the credit for himself, but I want to buy this as a movie. And I, again, I did ultimately like it because of the performances and I actually enjoyed parts of the visual style of the movie. Mm -hmm. I think the movie looks fantastic. um, Aside from the cigarette burns, (laughs) but yeah, but it's just, yeah, the, the characters are just constantly creating like, not just Mank too. Like so many characters are just constantly having quips. Um, you know what this movie should have been? They should have cut. Not don't. You know what? I know why they had to do it because pe like an audience, might not even know who Herman J. Mankowitz is if you didn't have the Citizen Kane stuff. But you know what? Take all that out and just make it a movie about Mankowitz at San Simeon. Make yeah. it about him. And Marion Davies and his relationship with Hearst, because that that is where like the fertile ground is like the scene, the scene after like like one of the best scenes of the movie is that scene actually after that dinner scene I was talking about where Marion Davies kind of walks up and leaves because she said like a bad a wrong thing in front of, uh, you know, Hearst and Meg follows her outside, and they have, like, this kind of conversation. I really like that scene. Yeah. That was a good scene. That was a really good scene, like, and that was where, you know, they were kind of bantery, but it felt very natural. That was where it felt the most like a classic Hollywood movie, where, like, you have two characters who, you know, have this connection. I, I think the movie should have been about them.
0: You're so right. And I was thinking the worst scenes in this movie are definitely the scenes that are most directly deal with Citizen Kane. And, like, I'm sorry, watching a dude in a bed dictating...
1: And, like, stuff. and his secretary, who's, like, like, kind of lightly berating him, like, oh, mank, you know, Lily James is in this, too. Yeah,
0: and that was so annoying, because, again, I I... Maybe in real life... That's how it was. But this movie is not particularly grounded in real life. So,
1: yeah, like, or you know what? Again, this, I almost think maybe this could have been better as like, not even as a movie, as a miniseries, like they could have gone like the Fosse-Verdon route, where again, you haven't seen Fosse-Verdon, but that told like the story of Bob Fossey and uh, Gwen Verdon, and it told, like, their whole story of their li- of their relationship and their collaborations. But they did that over several episodes. In one movie, it feels so packed with stuff. And a lot of it is really good. Like, even great. But I wanted it to coalesce; It doesn't cohere.
0: Yeah, there's not... The movie tries to do too much. And because it tries to do too much... It's all kind of shallow, and
1: mm.
0: I also, I feel like I've said this in regard to multiple movies, and I feel like, I know I sound like a Looney Tune when I say this, but I believe it. It's possible your cinematography can be too pretty. It's possible. Uh,
1: no, I. some of the cinematography here is pretty great. Like, I'll, I'll give the movie that, like, although, you know what would have been funny, like, we You know this now, too, because, again, you watched that video essay. Citizen Kane, if anybody's ever seen it, Orson Welles at the end shares his title card you know, as director, or producer, with Greg Tolan, the cinematographer. I don't see David Fincher doing that. <laughs> What's wrong, David? A little insecure? <laughs> I was struck <strong. laughs> He should have shared the title card with his cinematographer. You know, be a man. I would strongly recommend
0: the 12 and a half minute video we watched before we yeah. watched this movie about Royal Ocean Film Society. Yeah. Yeah. Called?
1: That's the, that's the video. It's it's about, well, it's mostly about, um, and I guess we can, you know, get into this a little bit. It's a, it's a largely about, and I think this movie digs into that myth a bit, which Pauline Kael, she, fa- she wrote this rather notorious essay Called Raising Cain and became a book, uh, like the Citizen Kane book. And in it, you know, she reveals the making of story of Citizen and Kane, according to her, which was Herman Kane wrote the entire script and you Orson Welles felt... <laughs> Oh, rock me like her Herman Cain.
0: He's not rocking oh. anyone now. <laughs>
1: Hey it's easy enough to confuse the two. <laughs> Both names are rattling around in my head. Give me Herman <laughs> right, right. Mankowitz. Mank. Mank and Kane like, all right. Fuck. <laughs> uh God. <laughs> uh, the guy, <laughs> he, he wrote he wrote godfather's pizza all right no no mankowitz wrote the whole script and or and orson well and did he wrote every single word orson Welles didn't write any of it and but he wanted to take all credit but then he had to sell for half credit and isn't that really terrible but then there were other essays that were came out from Pierre Bogdanovich, and there was another essay, There other been other accounts that said no, no. There's actual evidence of like other drafts. I mean, you could take it from the horse's mouth. Orson Welles described on tape how his collaboration worked. Uh, you know, his secretary said, like, if he, you know, if Mankiewicz wrote all himself, then what the hell was I typing for Wells? You know, all this stuff. And that fed into, you know, this idea that, again, Mankiewicz, poor tortured soul, who was a genius, even though he was an alcoholic and, you know, on the outs that Hollywood. And this movie buys in that. And that's, you know, you could still make a good movie out of it. And ultimately, this kind of did, but what pissed me off was kind of like the penultimate scene of the movie. Cause the movie ends almost how you expect, like at the very end, you know, the Oscar ceremony, as we all know, Mankiewicz and Orson Welles got the Oscar for best screenplay. They each had their own takes on it when asked in the press later. Um, I roll. Um, but like when Mankiewicz confronts Orson Welles about it, I'm just gonna spoil it because we're this far ahead in the podcast now. like Wells flips out, which, to be fair, it was documented that Orson Wells could be a rageaholic at times, like he could like what really by the way, what really inspired that whole scene in the climax of Sis and Kane, which I don't know if you remember this, you know Orson Well like Orson Wells' Kane, like trashes a room for like three minutes straight. <laughs> like he completely tears it apart which you know as we all also know uh, inspired Tommy Wu so for <laughs> that equally memorable okay. scene in the room <laughs> why why that's basically him is doing an homage to Orson Welles mm-hmm. that came from accounts that like there were like there was one instance in like the late 30s where Orson Welles got so pissed off at someone he completely trashed this Entire floor of a hotel, and it was so bad, like cops had to be called. <laughs> like it was that, and, but this movie makes it seem like you know, like you know, you're you're fine, you'll get credit but you'll never work in this town again. <laughs> and like Orson Welles throws like his case of like were they like were they ca- little cases of alcohol, uh, uh, something like that. Uh. He throws them in the fireplace, and Nickwood is like, ah, that's it. We'll have a scene where he has unbridled rage. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Oh no. You're don't do that thing that biopics do where like a character does something (laughs) and then it's like, ah, that gives me the idea. No, movie, no, no. Make his reflect on his whole life before he (laughs) writes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now we're going to show you how we created we will rock you look <laughs> see um yeah so fuck that's the one scene i would say fuck you to in this movie um you know and uh, yeah it's just i don't know i you know it's fun one more thing i wanted to mention about um i don't know if you, maybe you don't know about this there was another movie about the making of Citizen Kane. It was this TV movie about, like, 20 years ago for HBO. It's called RKO 281. It I had, haven't seen it. All right. Well, it had it was Lee Schreiber as Orson Welles. Uh, John Malkovich as uh, Herman Mankiewicz. He was pretty damn good in it. had a good cast. I, sh- I, I might rewatch that. Um, who else was in James Cromwell was uh, uh, Hearst. Um, I forget who was Marion Davies. Um, that I think, I, you know, even though it's a TV movie and it you know glosses over a lot of stuff, I think that has more of a coherent kind of narrative about th- that story. And I feel like I want to tell people: if you want a movie about like the story behind Citizen Kane, just watch that. If you want a movie that kind of deals in a kind of different way about hollywood politics in the 30s this might have that some interest for you but honestly at the end of the day it's like i even though i recommend it i'm not sure to who like i guess to cinephiles but that's not that many people in society i wonder what netflix is thinking like if this is gonna bring subscribers like the irishman did or even roma did
0: well it's funny i I will confess and i know it makes me a bad movie viewer i was on my phone a little bit when i was watching this movie not a lot but a little bit i have to confess and
1: well again that's something that fincher should just expect
0: anyway so so said it's not much but i did look at my phone a few times during this movie once i had kind of decided that once the movie had kind of crossed the Rubicon and I knew that, like, I'm not going to like this movie no matter what, I looked at my phone a few times. And I went on Twitter and I went to search the hashtag #Mank, And you know what st- is... Is there much of a hashtag for #Mank? Well, you know when you start typing something on Twitter and you'll get, yeah. like, an autofill suggestion? Sure. The first autofill suggestion I got was #Mank Boring.
1: Uh... And...
0: I will say I found this movie very boring at times. Very boring.
1: Yeah, no, I, I get it because again, it's a little. It's 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 wit, It's like it's full. It's kind of like a oppressive wit machine, <laughs> but it also has a little too much exposition. Um, you know, it's another moment I didn't like in this movie. Like, it's a little moment, but like, there's this little thing where, May, like, between Mankiewicz is talking with, uh. uh I guess is it Lily James? Is it was she a different actress I'm thinking of? The the, the one who's a secretary. Yeah. And then she goes into the kitchen and this like other German like maid or housekeeper or someone just tells her about how like Mankowitz saved like a hundred people from this village. Yeah,
0: that was totally. What the fuck bizarre. was that?
1: Like, okay, good? Like, what we're being told that? Like, that's not good storytelling that's like we're being told no he's really a good-hearted soul
0: that doesn't make him a more compelling protagonist
1: no no i want to see action i like and i mean by actions i mean show me more interesting things but the problem is what are you going to show him like he gets drunk and in and like rambles a lot about don quixote
0: I feel well, like I,
1: so, God, this conversation's making me like the movie less and I don't want to. I want to do that. I feel like you my nailed good it when you said that this movie really should have been
0: about Mank and Marion Davies.
1: Yes, absolutely. That that is the heart and soul of the movie. And when it when it has that, it works. Like, you know that and then like the other scene where he like catches up to her in that car as she's leaving the, the set, like and she's trying to make an exit. Like, that's a good scene, too.
0: Because I thought they played off each other really well. They had great chemistry. Now, when I say chemistry, I don't mean, like, romantic chemistry. Yeah. But they they really played off each other very well. Oh, by the way, this is a very minor thing. I love near the end of the movie where Gary Oldman's like, I'm 43. (laughs) Sure you are,
1: buddy. (laughs) I mean, look. He can play, he's at its he's still at, he's right up to the edge where I can buy him as a middle-aged man. I gotta how old he is, really. No, he's like 60, I think. <laughs> like, but no, but don't tell me your age, because you do not look 43. You, you just don't, like. Um, yeah, this man
0: is 62 years old, and I think he can play, I definitely think he can play a bit younger, but not twenty years younger.
1: You know, it's something sad. I was thinking about when I was leaving the theater. David Fincher is going to win Best Director for this movie. Uh, you know why? It's it's a makeup Oscar. You know that happens. This is a makeup Oscar for The Social Network.
0: Well, I'm going to pretend he won it for Gone Girl or Zodiac or Social Network. Or the game, or Seven, or Fight Club.
1: It's funny. There's this one quote that I always think about too with Fincher, where because there's this other really good video essay by this YouTube channel called Every Frame of Painting, and it's uh, it's called David Fincher and the Other Way is Wrong, and that's from a quote he had once had where like there are only two ways to shoot a scene, and one is wrong. But the quote I really remember from him is where he's like, you know, the audience knows you can do any, can do everything. Or no, no. It's the audience can know you can do. The audience knows you can do anything. So what do you not do? And I think <laughs> this really shows a lot of what you cannot do.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah. David Fincher definitely deserves to be an Oscar-winning director. Yeah, but
1: he's so t- he's such a like extraordinary talent in this industry. He really is. I mean, he's done so many amazing, like, culture-defining films. And I, again, I think that this falls into, like, his it's fine category.
0: And I would...
1: Is it worse to you than Benjamin Button? Definitely. Really? No. In
0: fairness, (laughs) I have not seen Benjamin Button since we saw it in the movie theater. So I thought this movie was just so... Blah, like...
1: There's nothing in this movie that's as embarrassing as some of the CGI in that movie. Like, some of the CGI in that, even when I saw that movie, I knew this is not gonna hold up. Like, you're shriveled, old, seven-year-old Brad Pitt. (laughs) No,
0: I definitely did not like Benjamin Button when I saw it, but Benjamin Button actually has, like, a coherent narrative arc and... Sometimes it made me have feelings.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's funny though, because I once heard that Fincher made Benjamin Button in some part as a reaction to his father dying. Mm-hmm. So it goes to show, any projects involving his dad, no go. Mark <laughs> <work> that out. <laughs> anything, in the any, office. anything that involves his Yeah. <laughs> which is a word that this movie reminded me of. That's the last thing I want to talk say mention of this movie. Louis B. Mayer has this little rant at one point which I loved about his misspuha which is of course, you know, Yiddish for family. And I was like, "Wow, okay, you're bringing that into this." Yeah, Louis <laughs> Mayer bringing the hot fire.
0: He was a delight to watch. Said Amanda Seyfried a delight to watch in this film. So, I would say there are two strong supporting performances, but Mank is a totally lame it, protagonist. This movie's just
1: really not good. Uh, again, my, my final words on this, because I think you were kind of wrapping it up with that. Yeah. <laughs> and And <laughs> your fake, 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 fake is yeah. the thing I'll remember from this. My my words, again, I do still, I would still say I like this movie because of again the kind of what it did on a political showing the politics of the time i thought that was something i hadn't seen before and i thought that that part of the movie was fascinating on kind of like a historical level and i still i think that oldman helps to try to elevate the movie just through his sheer force of You know, I'm Gary Oldman, damn it, and I'm gonna act the ever-loving shit out of this material. But he needed better material. That's what I would say. Like, it's a good movie that I, 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 it's, it's like this should, this should have been like so good, and it's not.
0: You would have made such an amazing PowerPoint out of the Upton Sinclair material.
1: I don't know I mean I what, what I don't know why I would have copied and pasted oh I shouldn't have said that <laughs> into my PowerPoint <laughs> no I, I I didn't know that uh, but yeah it's uh, my I guess my review is you know go read Upton Sinclair you know go vote Democrat don't let any more Republicans into the government <laughs> <laughs> all right so um yeah if you've seen Mank. Uh, or maybe if you've seen Citizen Kane, if you've seen anything related to this, uh, world, uh, you know, shoot us an email, wagescinema.gmail. Um, we're also, you know, on Facebook and, uh, Twitter, so you can send us messages there. Um, actually, before we sign off, uh, I actually, um, you know, we always say about, you know, send us an email or, you know, send us some comments. I didn't tell you, we actually got an email recently. Really? Yeah. Um, we got an email and I'm going to read it now. This is from, uh, someone named, uh, Nick, uh, Paticio? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Paticchio. It's, uh, so thank you for emailing us. This is from, uh, a little while ago. And you, uh, at, you mentioned, uh, I'm not going to read your full email cause it's a little long, but you recommended a movie to us called the beast of war, AKA the beast, starring Jason Patrick, Jason Patrick, Steven Bauer. And it was only released in two screens across the whole USA. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's old writing partner has it down as the best movie of 1988 on letterboxd. And he has as one of his 20 desert Island films. I'm starting to get more and more podcasts to check it out and review it. While letterboxd reviews seem to be on the increase now. I think it should, would be great if companies like Criterion or Shout Factory could get their hands on it. Uh, please seek this film out. Uh, let me know if you agree with me. This might be one of the 10 best American movies of the 1980s. One way or another, we to raise this movie's profile and prevent it from continual obscurity once and for all. Just check out the trailer. Thank you. Uh well, uh, thank you, Nick, for thank you very much this. for
0: emailing it. We'll check it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe I'll at least check out the trailer. And uh, oh, it also stars George Dunza. George Dunza. George
0: Dunza was in season one of Law and Order. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he d- had a d- very the d- aggr- d- 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 Dunza. Yeah, his name is spelled it's like DJX. You don't pronounce the Z. It's <laughs> can, I George just, Dunza. can I just call him the
1: Dunza from now on?
0: <laughs> he has a very aggressive presence in season one of Law and Order. He's a very like aggro. Um, but yeah, is can,
1: he like Dunza Smash?
0: <laughs> he would be kind of Dunza Smash, only. George Dunza's is kind of like a portly fellow, which limits his ability to really like hulk out the same way that, let's say, Chris Maloney did. But I'm gonna take this as a kind of indirect response to Law & Order, because yeah, George out was kind of the main older cop in season one of Law and & Order. And I'm sure he's done other stuff, but that's what I know him for. And I really wish this movie had been better.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, but... Maybe yeah. I'll
0: watch another one of his good movies again, <laughs> and...
1: Yeah, watch the social network to see how, you know, you can get, like, real tension and conflict among a group of characters who are from real life. Or
0: watch Zodiac, which is a much oh, better oh yeah. story oh, about yeah. a person's obsessive quest to solve a mystery. Maybe if... You know, if Mank had one tenth of the Jake Gyllenhaal energy from Zodiac, I could actually buy him as someone who is motivated. Well, uh, he's not the same. uh,
1: To be fair, he's not the same character. He's not. uh, But you just but you need to give him something else. You need again, you need to just give him a relationship. Give him a relationship that we can latch on to. You need like a Howard Hughes Catherine Hepburn relationship, yeah, like in The Aviator. Which
0: is why you totally nailed it when you said the entire movie should have been him and Marion Davies just hanging out.
1: Yeah, because Marion Davies is a pip. <laughs> That's my review. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, we come back next time. Actually, we're we're po- we can we we're not going to spoil it yet, but we're kind of planning on. Uh, a couple episodes that involve some classic Hollywood movies, um, some retrospectives, if you will, maybe even kind of like a verses, which you haven't done in a very long time. So make sure to stick in and tune into that. And... Uh...
0: Yes, we actually have been watching movies for the podcast... But even though we haven't recorded in a while, because we're going to do another one of our big shows. Our, our
1: podcast bun is in the oven. <laughs> so you'll need to, you know, call the podcast midwife for that. Uh, <laughs> until next time, guys. Uh, th- uh, I'm Jack. I am Trash Panda Corey. And the ways of Cinema is... <laughs> Everyone adventure. fine podcast excellence. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good night, everybody. you pick a fight with Willie, you are finished mayor can't save you nobody can especially the boy genius from new york i removed any distraction eliminated every excuse your family your cronies liquor i gave you a second chance
0: you cannot capture a man's entire life in two hours all you can hope is to leave the impression of what why hurst Outside his own blonde Betty Boop, you're
1: always his favorite dinner partner.
0: Are you familiar with the parable of
1: the organ grinder's monkey? <laughs>